We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, filth, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. And welcome to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. This is Jason Floyd, and uh, we are joined in the live cafe studio uh, at Ammo Can Coffee Social Club in Soldatna by uh, Christopher Kirka, who is running for governor. Good morning, Christopher. Jason, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, it sounds like you. Um, sounds like your voice is thrashed. Yeah, you know. Um Jason, this campaign is in its infancy, but we are seeing the momentum and the attention that you would see about a month or two out from the election, and we've been uh, we've been running nonstop. It's been uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, I know. I have uh, tried to reach you a couple of times, and and typically you're Johnny on the spot answering the phone, but uh, your phone's always tied up for some reason. Now I, I I'm I'm starting to get a little bit hurt, you know, in my feelings. You're not just like right there when I need you. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jason, I'm sorry, but you're not the only Alaskan. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that hurts. Oh, anyway, uh, we do have Loretta Eaton in the in the house again today, and uh, we've got a great uh, show lined up for you. Stack of stuff here. Loretta, uh, give us some highlights. What what are some, some crazy things that you've run across in your research this week? Well, the, the one thing that I found that was interesting that we've talked about before is... Um, how they're able to coordinate, you know, liberals are able to coordinate things. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg, is the headline, is, is now trying to take over American newspapers. And lo and behold, his organization has reporters in three newsrooms. Now, we're, we're talking about the, the corporation now formerly known as Facebook, now Meta. Called Meta. Meta. And, and, he's, it's, and, it's and Meta Media or Meta... Yes, it's Meta... Press Meta or Journalism Project the is Meta, what he's calling Meta it. Journalism Project. And they're actually like, going did, in... Did you ever, <coughs> you ever think you would hear those two words together in no. the same sentence, Facebook and no. journalism? No. And, and he's actually going in, just from reading the synopsis, they go in and they agree to pay a percentage of the salary of these reporters, and they're doing it under the guise of internships, training, and whatnot. And what do you think the chances are that we could get some of that money for the podcast? Well, I doubt it. <laughs> I, 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 I think you're too far right for them. Uh. But, you know, they've got one in the Anchorage Daily News. They've got one in Sitka, and they've got one in, in Unalaska. Well, speaking of Sitka, uh, that, that brings me to uh, last week's, last week's uh, podcast. Mm. Um, we had a gentleman here by the name of Ralph Vigilante. Oh, gosh. <laughs> when I met Mr. Vigilante, I was like, now I know a few good vigilantes in yeah. uh, Sitka. Uh, he and his wife are wonderful people. And, and, you know, one of the things they were telling me was that um, in Sitka, mm -hmm. the wave of wokeism is mm. awash. Oh gosh, and it's just um, scary. And, and and to the point that that one city council member was brazen enough to say, in a, a meeting of his peers, that he felt that people without vaccines should be lined against the wall and shot. And and there was no blowback for that. There was nothing. They just said uh, maybe you shouldn't say that. Well, one of these embedded reporters, because that's really what uh, yeah. that's what uh, Mark Zuckerberg is doing is he's embedding yes. reporters. Yeah. Right in communities, in communities across the country, mm -hmm. so that he can and and he's not alone. You said that Google was also Google's involved, involved? and there's, most of the major tech companies are, and a lot of the very very liberal uh, foundations. So you know, it's often you know? stated that the press mm -hmm. is the fourth estate, the fourth estate. No, so we have we have the uh, we have the in the Constitution. There's there's only really three estates that are are defined. There's the executive the legislative, mm. and the judicial. Yeah. But oftentimes they've said that the press serves as yeah. the fourth estate unofficially. I, well, it seems as though uh, this has gone full official now. Well, I, d I don't know if they're the fourth estate, but they're certainly like, uh, you know, a part of the, the tech companies, you know, just like they have subunits. Chevron has subunits. It's got oil and gas, and it's got the coal mining, and it's got all these things. This is, mm -hmm. They've definitely, they're no longer 
for there's no longer freedom of the press as far as I'm concerned. The minute they're doing this, this tells you that they have an agenda because bless their hearts these are uh, these are young people very impressionable and i'm sure there's um uh, i'm i'm sure there's education that goes in behind this i'm sure they're offered other things other ways to Im- improve themselves you know and I, I just don't think they go in and say report the news because it's too biased. What comes out is too biased. So, so I want to touch on that briefly with uh, our guest here. So as a candidate for governor, uh, Mr. Kirka, uh, have you run into any media bias yet? <laughs> <coughs> Jason, I'm uh, – well, that's good tea you got here at the coffee shop. That's really helped my voice. Well, it's communist um, tea, so um, <coughs> we got that from a company I will not name in, in, uh, in Anchorage, which I will no longer uh, be – uh, uh, purchasing product from, but uh, we're going to use it till it's gone. I actually thought about dumping the tea in the in the river, but then I figured like the EPA or DEC or somebody might come after me. But I want to do it like symbolically, like Boston Tea Party style, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, um, maybe we could burn it like incense out in the parking lot so. in protest of their their masking. Anyway, yeah. So uh, you know, Jason, I've been doing political organizing for a long time. And it's constant bias. But I'll tell you what, I am super encouraged. By the bias? Well, no. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, Expand. All right. So the, 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 the mainstream or the drive-by, whatever you want to call them, uh, the media, legacy media, um, they've so lost any of their credibility now that they're losing their influence. They're losing their power. And now we have alternative sources such as yourself. We have alternative sources like the Alaska Watchmen. We have alternative sources out there that are starting to cut through the noise, like uh, the, the Daily Wire, right? We have fantastic sources who care about the truth. Not enough. We need more. We need more to combat that. But, you know, um, well, I won't get into campaign strategy, but um, it's kind of funny when you get coverage from the, the left-wing media and they they label you as something and they say oh chris kirka he's the former director of right to life that's like the biography that's the that's their biographical statement about me not you know how long i've been in alaska i got four kids that i've you know third generation alaska whatever it is not that you know when i'm in the legislature it's all not what i've done in the legislature it's it's oh former director right to life because to them that's a that's a slam that's that's a slam but the people i'm trying to attract the conservative pro-life community, it's awesome. So um, sometimes in their effort to, it's like Donald Trump, right? You have the media going after Donald Trump on a constant, constant basis, and it doesn't hurt him. It does with some quarters. I mean, there's always people that trust the media to their own, uh, well, yeah. Um, they, there's always people that trust them, and that's where they get their information from. But I think we've gotten to a point where they've lost so much credibility Nobody cares what you what CNN thinks. <laughs> so, so I can let's let's speak to that a little bit because you know it's not likely that CNN's going to pick up this race until sometime you know maybe a week before the actual election and and it looks like you're going to win. Um, then they'll probably carry something about it and try to inflame the uh, you know mobilize their their leftist minions. But um, you know. <sighs> I've been talking to people about your your campaign since you announced, and one of the things that strikes me about your campaign is that you are not the heir apparent, and you are not necessarily the the establishment's pick. And uh, I know in in your um, your bid for your house seat that uh, folks from D.C from the established Republican Party came after you. They actually, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny. Um, I was the first candidate to get in the race uh, once the announcement was made that my representative was going to be retiring. And um, the establishment was scrambling to find somebody. And so they recruited the former representative from the district who had served for four years, four, in, four years previously. And, um, and she didn't really want to run, but they were, oh man, they, they could not have me. Um, so, uh, yeah, there was a number of groups, including the Republican Leadership Council from D.C., which is, uh, you know, Carl Rove is on the board, so it's Carl Rove's group, 
And if you know anything about Karl Rove, it it um, good old he Carl. likes to use conservatives, but he's not even anything close to a conservative. Um, he just wants to use you to get to get uh, his people elected. And uh, they put thirty thousand dollars. Just that group alone spent thirty thousand dollars. And other groups like them thirty thousand dollars in my state house primary election. So a DC group, a DC uh, election group, came to Alaska not for a statewide race, not for a U.S. Senate race, not for a federal race, not even for you know lieutenant governor race, for a state house race in a primary to keep in, to keep, in the third reddest keep, district in the in the, in the to in keep the, a newcomer. Yeah. Out. Well, you're not well, really. Not, you're I'm not, not a really a newcomer, though. No, because... I think. Yeah. If, if I were a newcomer, they would have ignored me. No, it was. Uh, I have a. <laughs> so I was the first Republican delegate uh, in 2012 at the state convention uh, of anybody in, in, I think, the party's history to put forward a resolution to censure Lisa Murkowski. And uh, when you start doing stuff like that, when you start organizing a right to life, and and you know, Lisa, who? Uh, Murkowski. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I stopped listening. Oh, the 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 soon to be former senator of Alaska. Yeah. God willing, yes. Okay, so Lisa Lisa Murkowski. Yes. Okay. So so on the topic of Lisa, I know it was interesting um, this week to hear Donald Trump come out. Now he had he had kind of thrown down on Lisa a long time ago, but he told the Dunleavy campaign that if you will say that you're going to um, not endorse or support Lisa and and uh, support uh, who opposes her, and right now the only viable candidate in my mind is Kelly Shabaka, um, that if you'll do that, that then Trump will give you his endorsement. And um, I find that kind of interesting, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because Governor Dunleavy then did say something about, yes, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do what the what the former president has asked uh, in removing any backing for Lisa Murkowski. And so then Trump made some kind of announcement that he was going to be endorsing Dunleavy. And and one of the things, you know, in his bombastic style, he said, Dunleavy, great guy, great president, great, great governor, great, you know, the way that Donald Trump flowers sort of perfumes the pig. Well, in in this case, he really perfumed a pig. And, you know, I was going to bring this document up uh, for folks to remind them who Mr. Dunleavy is today. And I, I went to the governor's uh, web page. Um, yes, he still has a web page, um, although it's not really worth much um, because right now it's just a propaganda page because it seems like uh, his administration doesn't want us to remember who he is. So if you go to the office of Governor Mike Dunleavy and you search for uh, Governor Issues COVID-19 Health Mandate 16, this was April 22nd that he issued this mandate. This was the mandate that would have ended, almost did end, this business, the the Amokan Coffee uh, Shop. And this was before we evolved to become a private club. But... um, uh, it is essentially what forced us to near bankruptcy. We Our house was going to be going into um, forbearance. I couldn't pay my mortgage. I hadn't paid three months of rent to my landlord here. You know, I was I was owing a lot of money. And, you know, it was, it was approaching 20 grand. And um, in that health mandate, the governor stated that if someone got sick, if somebody got sick at uh, an establishment like our coffee shop, that we could be fined a tremendous amount of money. It's like it's like $500,000, if my memory serves me correctly, and, and also face misdemeanor charges. Now, if somebody died from COVID and they could trace it, I don't know how you do this, trace it to them getting contracting it at your business, it now went to $1.5 million in fines and up to a year in prison. Governor Dunleavy is a bully, and he's a tyrant. And when you go and you try and read COVID-19 health mandate number 16 and click on the link, and I'm going to go ahead and do that here just so that I can read exactly what it comes up. A white screen comes up, and it says 502 error. The request could not be satisfied. 
I, I like the language there. <laughs> Could not be satisfied. You know, cloud uh, front wasn't able to connect to the origin. We can't connect to the server for this app or website at this time. There might be too much traffic or a configuration error. Try again later or connect to the app or website owner or contact the web, uh, the app or website owner. If you provide content to customers through cloud font front, you can find steps to troubleshoot and help prevent this error by reviewing the cloud front documentation. So CloudFront apparently is a service the state is using because if you go and you click on the rest of, so in this you have the COVID-19 health mandate 16, which you normally would be able to click on and read, that link is broken. But then you can go down to the attachments D, E, F, G, and H, which talk about non-essential public-facing business generally, um, retail businesses, restaurants, dine-in services, personal care services, non-essential, non-public-facing businesses. All those links work, but they don't contain the threats. Mm -hmm. yeah. they, they don't contain the threats. I find it curious that documentation on the governor's website is mysteriously not linkable now. This is documentation of his violation of the state and federal constitution. That's right. That's right. You know, Jason, <clears throat> when uh, I got elected to the state house, uh, I swore an oath, very similar to the governor's oath, to uphold and defend the Constitution of the state of Alaska and the United States. And um, it's very clear the limitations on the state government and the federal government in those constitutions. All right. And we have mere language in our state constitution to the federal constitution uh, when it comes to the state. Um, regulating, impinging on, or restricting in any way uh, religion. And Jason, a lot of states said, you know, yeah, we're going to do some lockdowns, we're going to do, we're going to do restrictions, we're going to do COVID policy, we're going to be stupid. But um, well, they didn't say that, but that, that's what they were doing. Um, that but, was that was in the penumbra, the yeah. gray areas between the written right. word. But a lot of states said we don't have the authority to tell churches. To shut down. We are, we, in Alaska. Did, did Dunleavy say that? No, 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 no. I think you're looking for leadership, and that's not really something oh, we have okay. in the governor's office. All right. I, I no, was... um, so uh, we are one of 30 states that said, you're a church, you're going to shut down. In Alaska, we said, if you're a pot shop, if you're a bar, if you're uh, selling alcohol. Now, come you, on, that's essential. You, you are far more essential. You cannot get your Friday night stupor on without a pot shop and a, and a bar open. But it is unessential for believers to, to fellowship together and to uh, and um, to come together, which we're, we're as, as believers in Christ, we're called to do in Scripture. You know, I've heard a couple of pastors make this statement. We will never close our doors again. So, so there yeah, were a lot too. of there were a lot of pastors that went along with this. They went along with it because they were afraid. Yeah. And, and, and if there's one thing I can say about Governor Dunleavy, he is the governor of fear. And fear is power. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the media only survives on, is perpetuated by, and, and mm -hmm. um, That's right. exists because of fear. And, and to, to the same extent, politicians build their entire careers typically preying on the fears of people. That's right. So, what are we going to do about this? Let's talk a little bit about uh, about your goals. When elected to the honorable seat that has been sullied and tainted by the current governor, um, what are you going to do to polish that seat up? <laughs> because it's got a big stain on it right now. Yeah, there's so much to do. Um, well, I'll just let you say it. A vote for Kirk is a vote to fire and zinc. That happens on day one. That's a good start. Loretta's giving her approval thumb, uh, two thumbs yeah. up. Two thumbs no, up. And, and listen, so something I've been saying on, on the campaign trail, okay, because so many of us are, are feel betrayed 
When I got elected to the state house, I thought I was going down to Juno to back the governor up. I thought I was going down to stand up and fight for his, you know, his vetoes and make sure they didn't get overridden in the legislature. And um, because he was, he had a, he had a mandate. He had a promise he made to voters. A majority of Alaskans voted for him and he had a job to do. And um, I voted for him. Yeah. Yeah. I had a four by eight sign of his Mm -hmm. next to my property right on the Kenai Spur Highway. That's right. Many of us did. Um, And um, when I got down there, there was nobody to join. There was nobody to back up. He had abandoned the field. And it it felt like on almost every front, he was not even negotiating. He was just capitulating to the left. And it was was, uh, sickening. And um, one of the things that I think separates, uh, there's a couple of things. There's three major things that separate me from uh, uh, Governor Dunlavey. Um, not so much on the principles or policy. Because I think if you sat him down and you asked him what his policy position was, he'd sound conservative. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter what he says his policy position, it doesn't matter what he does. And there's three, there's three, there's two lessons that I've, um, three things that separate us, two lessons that I learned a long time ago in politics. The first one is that uh, in politics, personnel is policy. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can be all excited about hiring um, the most qualified you know, competent, experienced people in the world. And if they're not on board with policy, they're going to be competent, but they're going to be competently working against you. And, uh, yeah, there's, you know, 20 plus thousand state workers that are, that are protected by the unions. So are, are but, you suggesting that you should not, you should not hire somebody who's an abortionist or supports abortion to be in charge of protecting life? What a novel thought. What a novel thing. Because that's who Ann Zink <clears throat> is. Yes, true. She became the president of a huge medical association recently who unabashedly supports Planned Parenthood, is funded partially by Planned Parenthood, supported by Planned Parenthood's research division. That's Ann Zink. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is Dunleavy's right arm in the pandemic. And he has, it's, it's like he's an, epop, uh, an epileptic that has no control over his arm, and he's just like wandering around the state letting the arm slap people in the face, just wiggling everywhere. You know, he seems to be leveraged to me. Now, I don't have any evidence of that, but, but uh, you know, he talked tall. You know, that was his slogan, standing tall for Alaskans. You know, well, I don't know how he achieves that altitude with as little spine as he has demonstrated. You know, normally somebody who's that tall without a spine would just crumple on the floor. But somebody's propping him up. Somebody's mm-hmm. propping him up. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard uh, some local folks here in the community, and I will call him out. Uh, Dwayne Bannock is on KSRM. Now, I know you went on KSRM yesterday and interviewed with uh, Bob Bird. But Mr. Bannock, the day that you... Uh, announced because I was I was watching. Uh, had nothing kind to say to you. Actually, he talked about Valley Trash. He talked about. Did he really say Valley talked, Trash? Talked about uh, about how you would probably that that you're so stupid you'd probably um, nominate your wife to be lieutenant governor, and <laughs> you know, um, uh, cast great aspersion upon you and. I found it ironic that, um, you know, he claims to be a Republican, but really what Mr. Bannock very clearly demonstrates on a daily basis is that he is a crony capitalist who is uh, accessing the establishment because it gives him access. Mm-hmm. And, and, and pay-to-play is the way that things are done. That's the modus operandi of the crony capitalist. And any time that their center of power, uh, their ability to have that access, or their ability to control the process is threatened, they get very mean. We can look at Liz Cheney Mm -hmm. right now. You know, daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney. And see all of the things that she's asserting and saying. Uh, fortunately, she'll not be elected this next round. But, um, but the the establishment very much wants to put their guy or their gal in office because the establishment then 
has access and that person owes them. And then they can fill the cabinet with all of the other establishment people that they need to keep their machine running. And so what are you going to do on your first day in office? Well, like I said, the first thing we're going to do is fire and zinc. But, um, okay, me, well, you, go can, you can do that in like 10 seconds. Right. And that's only just be like collar up and say uh, in Trumpian style. Yeah. You're fired. <laughs> um, I don't even know if we'll waste time with the phone call, honestly. Um, but um, let me go back. Well, before well, I answer it, your it, question. Do it for us. Do it for us. Well, we just do a press conference. And zinc, you're fired. But yes, um, Okay. Because if it's for you, then... Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to... Before I answer that question, what am I going to do on day one? Um, to go back to my point about what separates us, you know, with personnel being policy. And by the way, you know who coined that phrase, Valley Trash? Former State Senate President Ben Stevens, who our wonderful governor decided to appoint as his chief of staff. And what I was going to point out, Jason, is if you try to hire people from the swamp to run the swamp, you're going to get the swamp. And no matter how conservative... Because keep in mind, um, uh, Senator uh, or you know Governor Dunleavy, um, he's gonna he's gonna campaign on a conservative platform. But we need to judge people by their by their deeds and politics, not their words. Um, and the other thing I was gonna tell you that separates us is that in politics, um, it's uh, it's war by their means. And you have to be... Say t- that again. Say it's that again. war by other means. War by other means. Yeah, the left has been at war with our country. Thankfully, it's it's a bloodless war, well, except for the pre-born, and except for the, those... Well, I, I would argue it's not a bloodless war, because all last summer we saw Antifa and BLM killing people and burning places down and taking uh, parts of Seattle and saying that they no longer were part of the United States and actively involved in insurrection and treason and... and, and uh, well, okay, so our, know, the, left, our, the left has allowed mm, them to do that. That's their proxy army. Let's clarify. So, so for, it's not bloodless. For our side of the political aisle, it's bloodless. Okay. Yeah. In terms of what we do. Right. Um, and you cannot expect to get into office and to challenge the status quo, to get into office and uh, take away somebody's uh, gravy train and not expect them to react. And so what we saw with Dunleavy is he got into office, did a few of the things he said he was going to do, and you saw the recall start on the left. And the recall, you know, it's been shut down, but it was super successful. They beat Dunleavy into submission. And maybe he's beholden to somebody, I don't know, but the, the, the thing I can tell you is there's no fight there. And what I, something that's different about me is I don't generally care what people think. All right? I care about uh, the values that I promise voters I'm going to fight for. And I'm, I'm making co- you know, campaign promises, and those are what I'm going to stick to. But, um, and I'll, I'll talk and listen to anybody but you don't come to me and have me do something based upon your, your position with some organization or your position with some lobby. Convince me on the merits of the policy that is good for Alaskans, that is good for Alaska. I had a, I had a representative, uh, uh, I told that on the House floor that I wasn't going to vote for his amendment because I hadn't been convinced yet that it was the right thing for Alaska. And I'm paraphrasing here. And I was looking for him to you know, try to convince me. And uh, he said, well, keep in mind, I'll remember that. Say that one more time. Keep in mind, I'll remember that. I will remember that. It's a to that's, them, that sounds very um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Machis, esque <laughs> Machiki esque. Well, I, I I know you you're not in the same uh, in yeah. the same side of the, but, the yeah. capital, but you know I I heard something similar when I was told by my father that he was informed if I didn't back off that the Mister Machiki was going to have to do something about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so, it's it's not about it's not about what's good for Alaska. It's you know you need to trade favors with me. You need to vote for my bill because it's it's mine, not because it's it's good policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things we're going to do on day one. Well, like I said, you can't hire the swamp. So we will be replacing any at will employee the state has that is a um, that is going to be in charge of implementing policy. That is. Um, I mean, we're, we're not getting rid of every employee. I'm not saying that at all. But um, every at-will employee that is um, going to be working... So you're talking like department directors? Yeah. That yeah. Kind I of mean, thing. If, you're, if you are part of the problem, if you've been part of the swamp and running this, doing the same stuff, and you're not actually... I mean, there's some, there's some great people working for the Dunleavy administration, but they're far and few between. 
And so we'll be keeping some of those folks. But this is this is a campaign against the swamp. This is a campaign against um, this is a campaign against the status quo, against the crony capitalists. I don't I don't even like Jason. I, I hate that phrase, crony capitalist. I use it a lot, but um, they're cronies. See, well, a capitalist yeah, is somebody like you and me who own a business, and we go out and, and work in the free market. Well, Mark Zuckerberg's a crony capitalist. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is a crony capitalist. You know, they 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 leverage they leverage finance through a closed network of of uh, associates who establish them in elite positions to have advanced knowledge. It's like insider mm-hmm. trading. Let's let's define real quick um, this term establishment uh, that we use a lot. Um, when I when I say establishment, what I'm talking about is it's 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 a loose network. It's not a, it's not hyper organized. It's a loose network of big dollar donors that um, they're the cronies, right? They get a gravy train. Pay, pay to play. They they have a gravy train where they get they get contracts from the government for their nonprofit or their business, and they will fight hard to make sure that the, pe- the people getting elected are those who are going to keep that faucet going, keep that gravy train going. We're going to bankrupt the next generation. We're going to, you know, inflate the money supply. Well, that's fine as long as I get mine, right? I mean, that that's the new America. Yeah. You know, just just give me my uh, my stimulus check and leave me alone. Loretta's got something. But I also think it goes lower down. I think we're you can't just think in terms of people that own businesses because I went on a... Republican something that there were large donors there. None of them owned businesses. They just liked the access they had to Lisa Murkowski because on this tour that we were doing, three or four of them were very kindly taken away by Lisa and shown somewhere. And and they had no business interests. They just had accumulated money and they just like that access and and we can't forget them because we're, we're we're saying mark zuckerberg's the evil one no we've got people in our community that do it just for the power that it gets them hey, not may- for their business maybe i could raise so, funds that way you know if if yeah. you'd like to capitalize the ammo can coffee <laughs> social club i will take you on a personally guided tour of our stock room <laughs> I uh, it, it, I will I will take you behind the scenes and show you where the magic happens. <laughs> yes, that was a shameless plug and a request for money. So, um, get out your checkbooks. Yeah. So, um, the, I think those are the the two lessons I've learned that that really separate um, me from Dunley. But the other, the third thing I was I mentioned earlier was on judicial supremacy. I don't accept, I don't believe in judicial supremacy. When I have an oath of office, my oath is to protect and defend the Constitution. The oath is not to protect and defend the Constitution as interpreted by the courts. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, And this governor's not been too different from our other governors on this. He's just been worse. Um, And that is, the legislature representing the people continually says, we don't want to pay for abortions. And our founders are very wise to make the incredible power of appropriation uh, g- given to the legislature. The lawmaking power and the appropriation power is given to the legislature. And they um, they are a, dif- a dysfunctional body for a reason. It's designed that way. We want to make it very difficult to pass legislation. We want to avoid making horrific mistakes when you have when you legislate by fiat like the judiciary has. And what we've had is a series of governors, including this one, who have decided, you know what, um, I'm going to ignore the legislature. I'm going to ignore the will of the legislature, and I'm going to obey the courts, and we're going to pay for abortions. But on day one, we will stop the payments to Planned Parenthood because the legislature has consistently said, we don't want to pay for abortions. And my oath is to protect and defend the Constitution. And honestly, uh, Article 1, Section 1, the opening words of the Constitution, Jason, say that um, this Constitution is dedicated to the principle that all persons have a natural right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the enjoyment of the rewards of their own industry. So that's the other piece of this. Governor Dunleavy must have missed that memo. I mean, the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very lengthy um, memo. Kind of an important <laughs> one. It's, it's the rules of how we operate as a, as a government. It's a memo of the people to its government. Yeah. And that's that's the other the other problem with this whole idea that we're going to select some business and say that oh you're essential and but your competitors not, 
and um, you know some are some are important, some are not. And we're picking winners and losers. Do you remember that's a direct violation of Article One, Section? Do you remember one. Governor Dunleavy also put a prohibition on weddings? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a, a prohibition on weddings, and then Ethan Berkowitz said, "Well, I'm I'm going to one up you on that one. If you hold a, a wedding in Anchorage, I think the fine was like twenty, it was like twenty three thousand or twenty six thousand dollars. Is that all to to hold a wedding during the lockdowns? And um, you know what? My son got married. We had a black market wedding <laughs> in in the backyard in at Locarno." Uh, the 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 uh, bed and breakfast we used to run in Anchorage, but it's closed now because Anchorage is so woke that they drove twenty five percent of their small business out of business. Remember who did that to you, Anchorage? Wow! Remember who did that? That was that was Ethan Berkowitz and the Assembly. There's a left wing mob operating out of control based on the precedent set by our governor, because the governor is the last line of defense against out-of-control bureaucracy and out-of-control uh, uh, tyrannical bureaucracy because he has the power of executive order. He also has the uh, troopers to enforce, and his primary role is to uphold the Constitution. And in every instance where the Constitution was violated, clearly, he had the authority to instruct law enforcement to stop it. He had the authority. Now, he would have gotten his face sued off by all the leftist wackos, but he still had the authority to do it. And if he had demonstrated, if he had flexed even just the muscle in his right pinky and shown any kind of position of defense against the degradation of our Constitution, it would have created at least some kind of impediment to laying those foundational stones of tyranny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason, there's a statute, a little-known statute on the books in Alaska, uh, and I don't have the number in front of me, but uh, it criminalizes interference with the constitutional right. And I think the penalty is only, it's only like a misdemeanor, but it's something. Right. And, Who um, wants a misdemeanor on their record? Have you ever heard of the governor or anybody um, prosecuting? And if there was ever a time to prosecute for interference with the constitutional rights, it is now. It was. It was this last two years of hell for Alaskans. So let's talk about the governor's emergency powers because we, you know, people like Bannock and, and others will, will, you know, will come to his aid and say, well, he was just doing what he had to. And, you know, but, uh, but really those powers only exist at the, at the uh, permission and pleasure of the legislature. And do you recall when, when the, the legislative sort of authority, the authorization ended? And in in the set, I, now I know you were just you were just installed last year, so this would have been in the previous year that um, he had that that authority. But I, oh right, I okay. Recall, so let's, let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So the governor can make a disaster declaration, and he, it can go up to thirty days long, and then the legislature has to weigh in. And the legislature weighed in, and they gave him until. Um, they extended his disaster until November fifteenth of twenty twenty. I recall, if I if my dates are right. No, no, I'm I'm talking about the previous year. I'm talking about in November fifteenth of twenty twenty or twenty twenty. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got the November. We're 15th. in twenty twenty two, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Catch up with the times, Jason. Yeah. Hey, um, I've been busy. Okay, my my head's been down. I've been working my face off. So, um, November fifteenth, twenty twenty rolls around, and the um, the governor says, well. The legislature's not calling themselves back into session to extend this, which, you know, if they wanted to, they could, but they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to call them in, even though I could do it with a stroke of a pen, because I don't want to deal with a bunch of legislators. And so I'm going to just extend. And so what he said was this. He played this word game where he said that, uh, well, before the emergency was a possible pandemic, and now we have a pandemic. And if you recall, around that same time, there was this wonderful thing where he, he I, I say abused, but he used the emergency alert system on your phone. So if your phone's on silent, or it's even, I think maybe if it's off, I'm not mm. sure it's off. But if it scares the crap out of you this, when it goes this off. This alarm goes off like the world <laughs> is ending, and it's there for a reason. If there is, uh, in your neighborhood, driving down the road, is a kidnapper or something has got a kid, if there's a, a tsunami coming, 
up the up the inlet. There's a reason we have that. It's for it's for Jeff Bezos. You know, spaceship is falling out of the air and it's probably yeah. going to hit your house. Yeah, there's an emer- it's a, it's an emergency alert system, and he used the emergency alert system to send out a propaganda piece where he threatened Alaskans because they weren't doing a good enough job of being responsible and stopping the spread of COVID, and he was he was threatening them with potential lockdowns. <coughs> propaganda. <coughs> propaganda. Sorry. It I was had to, it was so had something caught in my throat. <clears throat> it was so inappropriate for a governor to threaten Alaskans with... But that wasn't the first time. Right, right. So, but what he did, yeah, he extended the disaster declaration, and then he did it again. And again. Grossly violating the Constitution. And then we get into the session. So I'm a new legislator. I go down there. Did you know? Um, and there's this frenzied idiocy about, oh, we gotta... We can't get the bill moved through the legislature fast enough. We gotta, we gotta ask the governor to do it again. And... Um, there was this idiot letter uh, signed on to by, and I don't, I know they didn't believe in it, but you know what? People have got to be judged by their actions, not their, not their good intentions. Um, hey, Loretta, I hear a stupid coming on. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Loretta is all about stupid. I'm all about evil. So you know, I, I blame everything on evil. She she blames everything on stupid. So let's talk about the stupid letter. Chris Chris is agreeing with me about stupid. About See, stupid. He's not, yes. he's no, he didn't mention evil. He, <laughs> he I just he just didn't say stupid. Okay. All right. Oh, there was evil. It was very evil. See but, see see. I but, told you. I told you. But this letter, this letter. Um, well, let's just people they can look it up themselves. It was a public letter sent to the governor. Uh, asking him to break the law. Of course, they wouldn't. They didn't say that explicitly, but to extend the disaster declaration. I was the only legislator. Not everybody signed on to that. I think, uh, you know, Representative Carpenter was very upset about the letter. He didn't sign on to it. Um, Eastman didn't sign on to it. Um, and I think uh, Delina Johnson didn't sign on, but I heard later that she just was late on that. Um, and uh, uh, Representative Rauscher said he did his own private communication with the governor, so I don't know what he said to, said to the governor. But I was the only legislator to publicly, in writing, with my own letter, implore the governor to not violate the law, not violate the Constitution again. Um, because I just, um, this idea that, the con- you know, one of the most frustrating things to me when I, get, when I got down to Juno, is to get on the floor, we're, 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 we're passing bills that are coming before us, and nobody is even asking the question of whether what we're looking at is constitutional or not. Well, that's for the lawyers to decide. You know, we don't have an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. Um, it well, is, well, we can talk about the lawyers, so go ahead. No, th- Nobody's asking the question. Unless they're just trying to play a gotcha and they want they want to get a legal opinion, you know, that says whatever they want to say that, you know, from alleged legal that, oh, we, we can't do your we can't do your thing because uh, it infringes upon what the leftists want and therefore it's unconstitutional. Um, that's, yeah. I mean, it's effectively what it, what it matters or what, 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 what they mean. But... Um, yeah, nobody's asking the question. Nobody's asking the question. So when myself or Eastman get up on the floor and we say, you know, hey, article such and such, section such and such, this violates that, and I or have a concern that it violates that, nobody even answers the question of, you know. So so let me ask you this. You had a number of bills that your office put forward uh, for consideration this year. Now, there's this whole process. You know, I've heard people ask, and when I was working for Governor Dunleavy, and, and just, just so that we've got to, just to be transparent, everybody, I went down with uh, Ron Gillum as junior staff. I lived with Representative Kirka during that time. Representative Kirka's second youngest brother married my daughter. Uh, his oldest brother, Jonathan, is one of my closest friends. So um, we're connected in a variety of ways. So, you know, just get that out on the table. But uh, so I got to kind of see this process and I saw what Kirk's office was going through. And I talked to his staffers on a daily basis because you're, you're collaborating a lot. You're, you're going to, you know, office to office. You're trying to find support for your bills. Ron had a number of bills that we were working on. But um you know, a lot of people asked Ron, I remember beforehand, and asked me as his, his junior staffer, um, you know, uh, what bills did you pre-file? Well, in order to pre-file a bill in the legislature, you have to have what they call unifying language. And they require you to put that through legislegal, typically. That's, that's at least what they'll tell you. 
whether you can do it outside of that process, I don't know. But um, but when we were in Juno, one of the frustrating things we saw was that you would give a bill to Ledge Legal to do their review and create their unifying language. And if you didn't read that sucker close, they would change words. They would take words out, things that you didn't ask for. Did you experience any of that with any of your bills? Yeah, and I actually had that experience when I was at Right to Life because I was writing bills um, when I was at Right to Life, and we would take we'd spend so many months fighting with Ledge Legal because they would constantly screw things up. And they just run the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, here's an example. So, and it's not it's not just me. Like you said, with Gillum, um, uh, essentially there are no conservatives left that work for Ledge. No conservative attorneys left that work for Ledge Legal. And um, you, to put it this way, is we are not allowed to file bills that have not been drafted by them. So we submit a request to them for what we want. And we elected those people, right? No, no. <laughs> I was being facetious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, they're, they're, effectively, they're effectively hired by the, the head of the legislative affairs who was hired by the ledge council. Who is completely nonpartisan. <laughs> Uh, what a joke. Yeah. <laughs> so um, He chuckles. So here's an example. Um, my staff was working on a, uh, a significant election security and transparency bill. And we actually went across the aisle and we found a Democrat who cared about election security. Not, not integrity. Not integrity, but security and transparency. We're going to overhaul the system with security measures for chain of custody and making sure that we're not, uh, you know... We're not certifying the election with a, with a with a machine count. We're using machine counts, uh, you know, on the outset, but we're certifying the election with a hand count. Um, yeah, because we only got like fifteen people in the whole state. You know, if there's a state that could do a hand count, Alaska's it. Right, right. So you know, we have all these security measures in here, and we get agreement from the Democrat we're working with, and um, we submit the we submit the list, the itemized list of what we want to allegedly go, but we want this written into the law. And I think it was four, five months later, we get a draft, and it was garbage. And we had to start over from ground zero. And we're back at that. We're, you know, we're having a meeting now with, and it's just, it's so frustrating. It, it is, yeah. And I, I, I want to give, I want to give another example. So, so um, it's garbage. Let's let's define garbage. So one of the things that that uh, when I went to Juno, I told Ron, I said, I have a couple of issues. As a constituent, I would like you to consider, and I will be more than glad to help write those and research those. And and uh, Ron is, I've always said, is he comes into a room, he doesn't pretend to be the smartest person in the room. He he is the available person in the room, which is more than I can say for most politicians. Unless you've got a fat wallet, most politicians won't give you the time of day, but Ron is not that kind of guy. So he, when he invited me to come to Juno. We sat down and we talked about legislative priorities and uh, some of the things he wanted to pass and some of the things I was interested in and and found the points that where we connected, you know, on, on issues. And so there was one issue that we talked about, and that was the recall laws, because the recall laws in this state are written basically so broadly, so vaguely, and then with so many barriers and hurdles uh, that they basically... Um, they undermine and and uh, um, supersede the constitutional authority that's given to the people to be able to seek redress of grievance through petition. They actually create these artificial barriers that you can't actually petition your government for a a uh, to to take up a grievance um, until you get approval from the government to petition the government to have a grievance in the first place. So you have to have this threshold of like, well, you have to get, you know, 25 percent of of those people who voted in the previous general election from any given district that you're looking to recall an official from. Or t- well, no, 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 10%, no, no, no. So 10%. It, to submit an application. Right, th- that's what I'm talking about. You have to submit a 10 percent of the 10%. voters, 10 percent, which is the same amount it is to, to do an initiative petition. And then you have to do twenty five percent after the approval. But, but the point is, is that is zero. that your request you have to ask permission through a application process. You don't get to directly petition the government. You can't just go out and collect signatures and petition the government. You have to apply for permission 
to how demonstrate grounds to then go and proceed. You know, so so there were all these things, and and we presented a bill that was, and, and it's different. It's different at the municipal level and the state level. There's uh, different rules for how who who certifies the, sur- the signatures, um, how that process works, um, and so as we've seen in Anchorage, who you have as your city clerk can have a big impact on what application is going to prove or denied and how. And just like uh, in Sitka, they try to do a recall on this person that wants to line people up against the wall and shoot them if they're not vaccinated. They try to do a recall there. And, and the, the city clerk said, well, he's only exercising his First Amendment rights. So that's not grounds. That's not grounds for recall. The, the constituents can't recall their candidate when he says he wants to shoot them if they don't take a vaccine. <laughs> I'm not quite sure where they lacked standing or grounds. But uh, the point is, is that when we when we put that bill forward, they kept kicking it back and forth. So they would make a little change. We'd ask them to do something. They wouldn't do it fully. So when we'd have to send it back to them, they say, well, you're at the rear of the queue. Well, you have 500 other bills that are being reviewed or written at that time. And so you have to wait until it grinds through the process for some assigned attorney to take a look at it again. And then they kick it back to you, and it's partially done. You know, if I had employees that did such a slipshod, um, uh, provided such a slipshod product and did not listen to the instructions I gave them, they would be fired. But that's, that's that's how alleged legal works. Unless you are aligned with them... In, in ideology and policy uh, um, uh, opinion, they're going to put every kind of stumbling block you can in there. In, in the case of, of the uh, recall um, bill, when we finally got it to where we thought we were, and we actually filed it with the clerk, we're going to put it on the floor, and at the last minute, I, I, I thought, you know, I better run through this just one more time and see if there was something I missed, and I did. They removed a section that was already established law that said if a candidate was successfully recalled, there was a petition to to get that special election, and they resigned from office before the election could occur, that the governor could not then turn around and reappoint that same person back to their position, because that's normally what happens in a vacancy. So if there was a legislator... Let's pick on Zach Fields, because I don't like Zach. Uh, Zach Fields does something heinous. Well, which he has done. So, I mean, that's... So he's a good example. Let's let's remove Zach, because that's a fun thought experiment. So so Zach gets recalled, and... Uh, but rather than go through the disgrace of having the special election and losing by a landslide, he just resigns. But then Dunleavy flips around, because, you know, he's doing a favor for somebody, and says, you know what, Zach... It's my authority to reappoint or to appoint a replacement for your vacancy. How about this? I'll just reappoint you. And then that whole recall process thing will just go away. They'll have to start all over again. So apparently that's happened in the past. Somewhere in our history that's happened in the past in such a way that they had to write a law to stop it from happening again. Well, that's the section that Ledge Legal took out of our bill. They removed that protection. And it's just common sense. And I called him up, and I called the lawyer, and I said, are you trying to make my boss look stupid? And then they took great, great umbrage at the 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 uh, accusation that I was lobbing at them. And actually, the Speaker of the House sent out a memo that week, and Chris will probably remember this memo, where they basically... Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> they basically told everybody, you know, uh, we have very professional staff and you <laughs> shall not impugn their character and you shall not, you know, uh, <laughs> basically it was it was a reprimand, mm-hmm. you know, stop stop beating up ledge counsel. They're just doing their job, you know. Well, well, that would be a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's what that's what we're fighting against. Um, uh, so uh, I'm proud to say that that Chris is not a, uh, in my opinion, for what that's worth, is not an establishment kind of guy. And when I went to Juneau, I was looking for a place to stay, and I called him up, and I said, hey, can I bunk with you guys? And he said, no. <laughs> his house wasn't big enough. He'd already figured out a way to, to get down there, and he was taking his whole family with him. And a week later, he called me up, and he said, yes. 
And I was like, what changed? And he said, our house fell through. Uh, the only other place that will accommodate our needs, like 6500 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could really use your housing stipend. So... <laughs> So, well, it was. It, it, it ended up being a, a much bigger house. So it was huge. It was huge. We had a lot of it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Uh, it was, you know, had a had an ocean view right on the channel, and uh, but it was. It. I, I know he spent probably every every dime of his per diem paying for his his uh, family to be there. But here's what struck me. So when we talk about how to select a candidate, right? You'll hear people like Bannock and others who will lob missiles at candidates like Mr. Kirka because of his age. You're going to be 35 this year? Yeah, you're in April. Okay, so 35 in April. And they'll say, well, you know, uh, this is a young candidate, and maybe in, you know, 10 or 20 years, you know, we can look to him for leadership, but uh, he's got a lot to learn. Well, I would I would pose the, the, the counterposition that if age is supposed to give us wisdom, I'm not quite sure what happened with sure Dun- Dunleavy or... Uh, Walker, or uh, let's just go down the list of, of previous leaders where age um, really, you know, well, Joe Biden, let's yeah. take a look at age. If, if age is supposed to be the litmus test by which we, uh, we put somebody in office, then how's that working for you, America? But um, so, so that's one thing. I've known Chris since, shoot, you were probably 15, 16 years old when your brother was working at the sawmill. Um, and, uh, that's when I first met him. And then I ran into him again, uh, when he was, uh, working with his district, uh, as a party bonus vote or chair or something. I started out as a bonus vote and I became a chair and did all, I pretty much any any local party position I've had. Yeah. So, so he's been an activist since like 15, 16. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, um, you know, I think what really compelled my, uh, entrance into politics, I cared deeply about justice and, um. You actually named your I, first child justice. Yeah, I did. <laughs> right. And we, um, I think it was when Frank Murkowski appointed his daughter. I got heavily involved. And um, I've been fighting the establishment ever since. Yeah. So, so. I actually, you might say I have more political experience than Dunleavy. Right. Right. So, so, so don't judge somebody on their age, but on their experience and, and their mind and, um, and the people who they surround themselves with. Uh, if you look at who Dunleavy has surrounded himself with, then you seriously have to question his mind um, or his experience or both. Or then you have to go to that place where it's maybe a little more conspiratorial in thinking and saying, is he leveraged? Because this doesn't add up. So, but what did add up for me was the reason why Chris was taking his whole family to Juno. And I think this speaks to the character of uh, candidates like Chris. And so this is an endorsement from me, Jason Floyd, um, you know, in my small coffee shop in, in Soldatna, um, that, that when I look to candidates, I look for character. And Chris told me the reason why he was bringing his family. Now, you have four boys. Yes. Under the ages of start, well, who justice is held? Seven. Seven. So four boys under the age of seven. And, uh, and you guys are entrepreneurs. You had a couple of businesses. Um, and uh, your wife came down, and she is in charge of your financial, uh, their bookkeeping business. We have a tax accounting business. Tax yeah. and accounting business. And, and so I asked, you know, how is she going to manage that? Because she's going to work remotely. And he said, we're, we're going to sort it out. But the reason why I'm bringing my family down is because, in, and, and Chris had, I'll let Chris tell the story. So, so tell this story because I've been retelling this story to people because I think it speaks volumes to what kind of a, what kind of a leader you will be in the governor's mansion. I'm trying to remember which story I told you because I told you a bunch. Um, <laughs> so, so it, it, it's about being leveraged and going to Juno without your family. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I worked at Right to Life, I ran the pack and the super pack and. We interviewed a lot of candidates and um, watched people we elected that we thought were really great people. And they changed over time or they changed immediately. And um, when somebody goes to Juno and they're away from their family, their support network, they're lonely. And they, um, they're, around the, they're around the swamp. Their, their local support network is back home. And there's a lot of deep, dark, yeah. private hidey holes yeah, and so um, 
in Juno. I wasn't going. I wasn't getting elected to go to Juno to have a party. Um, I was there to serve my community, to my serve my constituents, and um, uh, I didn't want to. And I, I I can't remember if I told you this too, Jason, but you know, there's this um, stereotype I wanted to avoid. Um, not just avoid the stereotype, but I wanted to avoid this this trap, and that is that. You know, um, a lot of missionaries, sometimes they, they let their service to God, um, their service becomes their God, and they neglect their family, and um, they outsource the parenting of their, of their children. And I did not want um, to let my service to my community, my, my duty, um, I did not want that to supersede my... Uh, my relationship with my children. I didn't want it to um, get in the way of being a good father or a good husband. And, um, I mean, I've, I've seen it. It's hard when you go down and you're, and you're apart from your family for three, four. And well, in this case, the summer was insane. Um, you know, months. And um, I wanted them to have their father present. I wanted to be there for them. Um, and um, it's... Uh, it's also easier to... Uh avoid the traps yes if if you've got your wife and family to return to every night yeah because normally i mean and this last year wasn't normal but normally there'd be endless cocktail parties and receptions and and things that you would be attending yeah a lot of a lot of people go out hanging out at the bar that's what they do and that's just not me well and the lobbyists also will throw these these big receptions and things and you know and and when you talk about you know things happening in smoke filled rooms behind closed doors, that's what they're talking about. You know, it's it's things that are not necessarily done in during business hours. Yeah. I certainly didn't go to Juno, Juno to make friends. <laughs> I think you succeeded. <laughs> I think you succeeded. And so so as we look for reasons why uh, to to support the Kirka campaign or other campaigns. Uh, I encourage people to consider character. Character counts. Uh, character is what is uh, uh, sort of the, uh, I guess, the visible, demonstrable proof of a moral compass and a uh, uh, platform of, of standards and values that somebody um, acts out daily. You know, and we have a, a group here. I'm going to plug it again because we're coming to the, the end of our time here. But um Every Wednesday night, we have a men's fellowship here called the Band of Brothers Men's Fellowship. And one of the things that we talked about in in this last week's uh, Band of Brothers was this idea of believing, belief, and faith. And how they are, in some instances, the same thing, and how they're very different in other instances. And and the idea that, that you can believe something but if you don't act on it all all of the believing in the world is not going to amount to anything the bible says that even even the the demons and and satan believe in jesus mm-hmm. that's right but they're not acting in faith to follow his commands and so um character is like one of those fruits. The uh, you know, character is something that's visible, and uh, it's something you do when nobody's watching. But it's something that's that's very, very um, important. And and uh, so when we look, go ahead. Yeah, that reminds me of a really great quote. Um, it, it applies to politics. You know, somebody said that. Uh, Uh, you know, character is what you do when nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. But I think it was Jesse Helms said this. Uh, but it's also what you do when everybody's watching, and uh, and you have to. <laughs> so there's a there's a crime of commission and a crime of omission, and so 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 when nobody's watching, what you're committing to, and then when everybody's watching, what you're omitting to do. And, and, you know, that's something that I know I, I gave uh, Mr. Kirka more than a, uh, an earful in Juneau about the lockdown of the Capitol and masking. More than one. I, more I, than one earful. I, I harassed him almost on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, he's got a, a tough job. And, um, 
you know, and and he was ambushed a couple of times within the party and um, uh, his own caucus. You know, you would hope that those guys and gals would get along, but that's not necessarily always the case. And uh, it's a very dynamic and, and difficult space to work in. And he's committed his time, his talent, his treasure, and dare I say his sacred honor to serving Alaska. Uh, my hat's off to you, sir. I'm actually not wearing a hat today, but we'll pretend that I just tipped it. Thank you, Jason. And, uh, you know, uh, we welcome you back to the shop anytime. Uh, I would love to have a seated governor uh, on the podcast at some point. We'll have to do that. And uh, But uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up for the day, folks, because we have a Liberty Action AK group meeting that's happening right now. It happens every Saturday at one thirty, And uh, uh, the uh, candidate is going to go ahead and speak with those folks. And then at 4 to 6 p.m., we're going to have a candidate's reception here at AmmoCan. I'm going to try and do the post-production on this podcast very quickly and get it on the air so that uh, the 12 listeners we have will have an opportunity to get down here. <laughs> I think we have more than 12 now, but uh, we've had... Uh, I looked the other day, and we had something like s- close to seven or 800 downloads. So, nice. you know, this is uh, episode 25. You've been listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. Keep your powder dry. Aim small miss small that means look at the target and you look to the smallest thing that's that's my favorite line out of the movie the patriot do you remember the patriot it's been a while but i think so yeah yeah Yeah. so great fictional uh, piece about the uh, revolutionary war but uh stay well stay happy be blessed and we'll see you next week thank you everybody